please be advised, this episode may include depictions of murder, sexual content, and foul language that is not suitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Welcome back to Wickedness. I'm Lenny. And I'm Matt. And Halloween is over. Done. <laughs> okay. It's just that fast, right? <laughs> yes. Just going through the holidays. Doesn't it seem really quick? Yeah, actually, you know, if you think about it, what, Thanksgiving is a week and a or a week weeks. and a half? Two and a half weeks, maybe? Yeah, right in there. It's coming fast. It is. Which means Christmas is ting. <laughs> <laughs> All the build up. I know. Yeah. We need to hang the Christmas lights. Do we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, get them, get them going. Yeah, yeah before, but that definitely gets too nasty. And before it gets like super windy, you know, right. like in the next couple of weeks, the weather's yes. going to change like that. True. And, and then it's going to be harder. All right, get it done, babe. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'll do it this weekend while you're gone. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You come back, I'll be laying in the front yard because I fell off the roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've been um you know like we went from horror movies to hallmark christmas movies right yeah no in between it's just it one just to the totally other. flipped the switch and that's where we are that's where we're at in life i've been that's getting what we do. yeah i've been getting myself in the in the mood for it and mm-hmm. we bought some scented candles to make the house smell like like i don't know holidays yeah holidays what do yeah. holidays smell like? But that's exactly that's what, what it, it is. is. Yeah. yeah. So that's been cool. And then the cool thing is my wife starts baking. <laughs> yes, I do. I like and to that bake. That is good. Yeah. yeah. And, not and good for my belly, but good for well, the soul. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good for my waist either, but I don't have to eat it. I just bake it. Right. That's true. Everybody else eats it. You don't it. have to eat it. I'm going to try a new thing for sure this year. I'm going to do a Yule log. That'll be good. Yeah, I am down to try that recipe because I've never done it before. We're making that eggnog bread with well, spiced rum mm. glaze over it. When are we making that again? Soon. Yeah, soon. <laughs> it's gonna be good. <laughs> yep. So, at this point, we are not. I don't know. We're just trying to get in the mood. Yeah. We're getting in that festive holiday feel kind of mood. Yeah, and it's fun. It is. It it's is enjoyable. So, so aside from Hallmark Channel movies, though, I do still watch my ID channel a little bit. Mm-hmm. We were watching a little bit of that last night. Yes, we were so, on the case with Paula Zahn, too. That's we watched right. that one. Yeah, that's what we were watching last night. Yeah. So it was good. But as I was watching some movies or shows recently, mm-hmm. I, I noticed, like, I was thinking about television shows and stuff. And then, of course, because my brain does this, I thought about what 
serial killer has been on TV. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's how... Like all of them? Because they're documentaries and shows, or what do you mean? No, I mean, like, when they were killing, Mm -hmm. were there ever any serial killers on TV? Oh. And there was the one we're talking about today. Ooh. Rodney Alcala. He was on the dating game way back when. He was a contestant on the dating game in the middle of his killing spree. Cool. Serial killer on TV. All right. Yep. So, we'll just get to it. Let's do it. So, Rodney Alcala was born in San Antonio, Texas on August 23rd, 1943. His parents were Raul Alcala Bucor and, and Ana Maria Gutierrez. In 1951, when Rodney was eight years old, his father moved their family to Mexico, and three years later in 1954, his father abandoned them there. Rodney was only 11. Wow. Yeah, could you imagine? Yeah, do all this. Let's move my family to another country and then leave them. Even though that's where maybe their family was from. It yeah, a lot of it, but still, just a. Let me get you here, and then I'm. I'm adios. Yeah, vamanos. Bye bye. Right. So his mom though takes him and his brother and his two sisters and moves them back to the U.S. to a suburb in Los Angeles, California, and then in 1960. When he was 17, he joined the Army as a clerk, but he was medically discharged in 1964 after he had what was described as a nervous breakdown. Wow. How do you have a nervous breakdown as a clerk? I was just I don't wondering know. that. I don't know. Yeah. Can't push any more papers. Anyway. I don't want to be mean, but. Yeah, yeah, sorry. He was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder by a military psychologist. He was later diagnosed by other psychiatric experts with narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and malignant narcissistic personality disorder with psychopathy and sexual sadism comorbidities. Whoa, how did you spit all that out without messing up, for one? I don't I don't know how you did that. <laughs> and then, good. Have you been practicing? And then, two, that's a lot of disorders. Yeah, it is. He, the guy was just messed up. Man. That's just, you know, I mean, I listed what, what he was diagnosed with, but he was just messed up. Mm-hmm. The dude was just a psycho. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. He, of course, had an IQ of about 135. So when he got out of the Army, he went to UCLA School of Art, of Fine Arts, where he graduated from. And this is also around the same time that his crime spree began. Okay. So in 1968, a woman called police saying that she saw a man lure an eight-year-old girl into his apartment. So he starts off with an Mm eight-year-old. Like that alone makes you just want to rip the guy's balls off. I I just, this is not funny, but I envision him. How does he lure this girl? But I, I, I like think about he's like Halloween just ended, so he's got candy and he's like putting it on the sidewalk, <laughs> and then she's like picking it up, each no, one no, all the way <laughs> into the house. It's not a I know dog; it's a girl. Right, I know. I'm just. <laughs> I know. I know. The thoughts that go through my head. I'm just letting everybody know. Yeah, I have no idea. You know, who knows? Like, on in all honesty, maybe he approached her and was just like, "Hey, I've got, I don't know, I've got some candy back at my right, apartment. Or, hey, Come. your parents are." Right. Wanted me to. But I need to wait for him over here. Yeah, I mean it could be anything, but I tend to think it was more forceful. Sure. If someone's calling to report it. 
Yeah. You know what you, I'm oh, saying? Oh, yeah. You like, could tell that was suspicious Yeah. Looking. Yeah. Like, this is not okay. This uh, isn't supposed to be happening, so I'm going to call the police. Because a, so a woman called it in. Right. So, in all honesty. It didn't look right. Right. For sure. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. So, the okay. girl was Tally Shapiro, and police found her alive. But he had raped her and beaten her with a steel bar. She was almost beaten to death. Mm. And they found her inside of his Hollywood apartment. Of course, Rodney ran from the scene. And he lit, he even left the state to avoid an arrest warrant. But so he leaves the state. He goes to New York City where he enrolls in the NYU film school under an alias, John Berger. And that's spelled with an E. This is this has relevance. Just hold on for a second. Okay. okay? All right. So. He while he was in film school, he studied under Roman Polanski. If you remember, Roman was the husband of Charles Manson victim Sharon Tate. Mm-hmm. This poor guy just can't get away from serial killers. Jeez. Could you imagine That's having true. that much wow. kind of, like close contact with serial killer or yeah. victims yeah. in your life? Yeah, the hmm. odds of it, right? But Roman did. That is <laughs> so, wild. Yes, a little side note there. Hmm. But Rodney's attending NYU under an alias, and while he's in film school in 1971, he gets a job as a camp counselor at a New Hampshire arts camp for children using a slightly different alias, John Berger, spelled with a U. Mm. So, see, That's I told crafty. You. I know, right? Yep. So original. I know. Burger or burger. Yep. Which one <laughs> are you looking for? So in June of 1971, Cornelia Michelle Gr- Crilly, a 23-year-old TWA flight attendant, was found raped and strangled with her own stockings in her Manhattan apartment. Her murder actually remained unsolved until 2011 when it was discovered that she was killed by Rodney. Wow, that's, that's crazy, a right? long time, but with DNA. Right. So the FBI had added Rodney to their list of 10 most wanted fugitives in early 1971 while Rodney was working as a camp counselor, and he was added because of fleeing after raping Tali Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And two kids who were attending the camp saw his photo on an FBI poster at a post office. Imagine oh, wow, the, yeah. Imagine the times back then. Like, yeah. do you see kids in a post office ever no, anymore? I, <laughs> no. No. Unless they're drugging there by their moms or Right, dads. right, yeah. This is, but these two kids see his his picture on a, a, po- on a post office poster for the FBI, and they report it to the camp, and the camp turned around and contacted the FBI where they came and arrested Rodney and extradited him back to California. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's, like, real good. Yeah. So by this time, though, Tally Shapiro's family, they moved to Mexico, and they refused to allow her to testify at Rodney's trial, which to me is unfortunate. I get you're protecting your child because she's young. Yeah. Um. But part of me is like, you could have put this guy away. You could have put him away. Of course. But since the prosecution doesn't have their star witness against him for the rape and attempted murder charges, they have to allow Rodney to plead guilty to a lesser charge of assault. He's paroled after 17 months in prison in 1974 under the indeterminate sentencing program that was popular at that time. And I looked it up. This program allowed parole boards to release offenders as soon as they demonstrated evidence of rehabilitation. This just seems odd sure. to me. Because, because if you, I mean, people can put on a show. Oh, of course. And they're going to. Yeah. 
it's just odd to me. As soon as they see signs of rehabilitation, you're going to let mm-hmm. them out. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're rehabilitated. You didn't need it during the COVID thing, though. You didn't need to be rehabilitated at all. No, you just needed just to. Just let you out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just needed to be in jail. Okay, <laughs> let these people go. Yeah. So anyway, now, now Rodney's free on parole. Okay. And less than two months after, remember, he's been rehabilitated, right? Mm-hmm. He's rearrested for assaulting a 13-year-old girl who was identified by court records as Julie J. She had accepted what she thought was a ride to school, but my mind is screaming stranger danger, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know. Maybe they didn't practice that back then, but he raped her and stuff when she thought he was just giving her a ride to school. Yeah. So this is, again, like, it, it's a problem. It, it makes me sick. I wonder what year, I mean, this is... Just kind of gee whiz thinking here, and we have to look it up. It seemed like maybe we could find it, but like when did kids start getting taught to um, say no to stranger, stranger danger? Like you said, yeah, stay I don't away. know because we were, yeah, I was in school. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the eighties. I don't 90s. know. Maybe it's because of all this kind of stuff that right. happened in the seventies that they were yeah. like stranger danger. Yeah, that's know? what I mean. Yeah. Anyway, but I don't know. So he goes back to prison though. Again, for for this assault. And then he's paroled again after serving two years for, again, indeterminate sentence thing. Wow. He's showing signs of rehabilitation, so we'll let him out again. Let's let him out. Right? It just doesn't make sense to me. No. But then in 1977, he was released for the second time. The parole officer allowed him to travel to New York City to visit family, even though... He's a repeat offender, and he's considered a flight risk. So, yeah, go, go visit your family. Mm-hmm. So the, the New York Police Department Cold Case Division now believes that a week after Rodney got to Manhattan on this trip, he killed Ellen Jane Hover, the 23-year-old daughter of the owner of the popular nightclub Cito's. And the, he, she was the goddaughter of both Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, wow. I know, right? I thought you were going to say Club 51 or no, it, I, was it that in New York? Wasn't it? I don't know where yeah, that was. I think so. I thought it was in California. Maybe. I uh, don't know. I thought New York. I, and I don't think it's Club 51, but it is something close to that. Yeah, that's what I was saying. When I spit it out, I didn't think I was quite right. But anyway. Anyway, yeah. So Dean Martin and Sammy yeah. Davis Jr. Interesting. Yeah. And they found her body buried on the grounds of the Rockefeller Estate in Westchester County. Ooh. She... um had a note on her calendar for the day that she went missing that said she was meeting John Berger. Remember, that was mm-hmm. his alias. Yes. So basically, it just got caught, buddy. Yep. But also in 1977, Jill Barkham was murdered by Rodney. So he got those two. She was from Oneida, New York, 18 years old, and had only been in California for about three weeks when she was killed. Could you imagine that? You're mm-hmm. 18. You, you're traveling probably for the first time alone, mm-hmm. and you die. Yep. I guess don't travel. Don't travel, girls. Anyway, so her body was found on a dirt path near Mulholland Drive in Los Angeles in November on November 10th, 1977. She was found in the fetal position, naked from the waist down. She had been sexually assaulted, severely beaten, and strangled with a pair of blue slacks. She also had three bite marks on her right breast. 
Rodney came to be known for leaving bite marks, raping his victims and torturing them by strangling them into unconsciousness, then letting them wake up or reviving them and doing it all over again, over and over. Yeah. Jill was originally considered a hillside strangler victim, but that was later changed. Okay. So the next known victim was Georgia Wickstead, a 27-year-old registered nurse who was found dead next to her bed on the floor of her Malibu apartment. She was naked, badly beaten, raped, and strangled. A hammer was found lying next to her on the floor, but I'm not 100% sure that he used Used it. it, I tried to find Mm -hmm. um, information on that. Came up short. So, In 1978, Rodney worked for a short time for the Los Angeles Times as a typesetter. He was interviewed by members of um, of the Hillside Strangler Task Force as part of their investigation of known sex offenders. It's just too bad that they didn't realize that he was a killer, Mm -hmm. just not the one they were looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So he was ruled out as a hillside strangler, but he was still arrested at that time for possession of marijuana, which had me me kind of laughing because dude is out here killing people. He is a serial killer. Yeah. He's getting interviewed by this task force for the hillside strangler. They rule him out as the killer, but... Again, for you're marijuana. on parole and you got possession of marijuana, so you're back in the slammer. Mm-hmm. Yep. So but probably not for long, right? Well, you never know though. Like, no, it wasn't for long, but that little stent that he did in jail there, it might have saved someone's life though. Oh, somebody's probably for a little yeah. Yeah, for a of little course. while. Yeah, I believe that. Possibly. Yeah. But during this time same time period, Rodney had convinced literally hundreds of young men and women that he was a professional photographer mm. and he got them to let him photograph them for his portfolio. That's like a perfect deal, especially in the LA area. Well where and people he has, wanna become he stars. works too for LA Times, so yeah. he's got like press credentials, I'm sure, or Maybe. something to show, look, or I am a photographer. Or, and, or, yeah. Yeah. So a former LA Times co-worker of Rodney's said that he used to share the photos with workmates, and she said she thought it was weird, but said she was young, so she didn't really know that much. Mm-hmm. But she said he told them their moms asked him to take the photos, even though the girls were naked in them. Some of them were sexually explicit. Wow. Yeah, I would have found this to be weird, yes. even if I was young. Yes. I would have been questioning that. Like, but what is this? Right. One of the women who had allowed Rodney to photograph her said that he said he was a professional, so she was just being a model in her mind, which I can kind of see, but I'm not getting naked for anyone to take pictures of me. You know what I mean? Like, it's not happening. But most of these photos were sexually explicit, and most of them still remain unidentified. And police believe that some of them Maybe additional cold case victims, which is sad. So there might be more to his Probably body count. Probably so, yeah. But according to some later trial testimony, one of the girls who was posing for photos in 1979 named Monique Hoyt, she was 15 at the time. She was wa- she was reportedly knocked out by Rodney and raped. At 15. Yeah. Of Man. course. You put yourself, uh, like, not victim blaming at all, though. Like, he should not have done this. But no. But you put yourself in that position, too. Sure. Posing naked mm-hmm. with a guy you don't know. Yeah, you have no idea who this is, oh. who this person is. But again, yeah. not victim shaming because she didn't ask for it. So right. Regardless of the position or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. want anyone to think that I would do that because I would never. 
1978, in the middle of his crime spree, Rodney was a contestant on the popular game show, The Dating Game. Do you remember watching oh, The yeah. Dating Game? Oh, yeah. Bachelorette number one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, wrong watch, son of a bitch. <laughs> right. So host Jim Lang introduced him as a, quote, successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the dark room at the age of 13, fully developed. Between takes, <laughs> you might, no, between takes, you might find him skydiving or motorcycling, end quote. Can I just add, or killing people? Mm-hmm. So one of the other Bachelor contestants on the show described Rodney as a strange guy with bizarre opinions, and another said he was very quiet and didn't make eye contact with them. The Bachelorette was named Cheryl Bradshaw, and she picked Rodney out of the other Bachelors on the show winning a date with him. So he won the game show. Wow. Yeah, she met with him backstage after the show had ended, and she ended up refusing to go on a date, saying that she found him creepy. Mm -hmm. In that little bit of time backstage, she was like, like, I'm getting weird vibes from this guy. That's crazy. Yeah. And a criminal profiler named Pat Brown said that Rodney killed at least three women after the dating game appearance and speculated that Cheryl's rejection might have been a trigger for him. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I say Cheryl made the absolute right dis- decision. Yo, totally. I mean, for it's all we know. It's unfortunate for the other people. Yeah, but, but for all we know, she would have been on on the victim list. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right. She, she probably is very thankful that she did not go. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Mm-hmm. The intuition and just like, dude, you're creepy. Yeah. But Pat's basis for this was that serial killers don't take rejection well. And Rodney probably saw this as Cheryl playing him. So he took it out on other women. But even if that's true, Cheryl made the right decision. You know what I mean? Like Oh, she yeah. Of course. Good on her. Mm-hmm. So at this point, the dating game was in 1978. We know that Rodney has killed several women and raped more. He's a serial rapist. The date of the filming for the dating game was sometime in June 1978, but it didn't air until September of 1978. It's believed that sometime after the filming of the show, Rodney killed 32-year-old legal secretary from Santa Monica named Charlotte Lamb. On June 24, 1978, her naked body was found in the laundry room of a large apartment complex in El Segundo. Mm -hmm. She had been raped and strangled with a shoelace, and the apartment manager had found her face up with her hands behind her back, but residents said that they had never seen her before. So she probably didn't live in that apartment complex. Yeah. Random thoughts by Matt once again. Okay. I love like MTV raps back in the day mm-hmm. and El Segundo. And if you know the rapper that sang this, I can't remember. Please tell us. But this it goes like this. Okay. I left my wallet in El Segundo. I left my wallet in El Segundo. I left my wallet in El Segundo. I got got to find it. I got got to find it. I don't remember this. <laughs> That's awesome. Anytime I, I hear that, I think of that. Oh, I, that song. <laughs> I don't remember this song. Remember now, who, now you're gonna make who me the rapper was, but yeah, I'm gonna have to Google it later. Probably you could just put "I left my wallet in El Segundo" and it'll come up. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'm gonna Google that. Mm-hmm. You should. <laughs> I should do it right now. <laughs> no, no, we're we're doing this. So the next victim found was 21 year old Jill Panto, a computer program key punch operator. She was killed on June 14th, 1979, and found in the bedroom of her apartment, naked, raped, strangled, and propped up by pillows on the floor. 
So he's like posing his victims. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Taking more pictures, probably. Probably. Ew, that's so sick, though. Yeah. But it's probably true. Yeah. yeah. A few days later, on June 20th, 1979, a 12-year-old Huntington Beach girl named Robin Samso disappeared. Her friends said that a stranger approached them on the beach, asking to take their pictures. They refused, but the stranger straight stayed close by them. Robin left her friends to go to her ballet class, riding uh, one of her friends' bicycles. She had borrowed a bicycle because she was going to be late mm-hmm. and never made it to ballet. Mm. Her body was found 12 days later in the Los Angeles foothills off the Santa Anita Canyon Road. When her friends were questioned, they also provided police with a sketch of the man who had approached them. Police circulated the sketch, and a parole officer identified Rodney Alcala. Good. Right? Okay, so we got a match. Yep. So during a search of Rodney's mom's house in Monterey Park, police found a rental receipt for a storage locker in Seattle, where they found Robin's earrings, along with hundreds of photos of young men and women. And when I say hundreds, it Mm -hmm. was almost a thousand. Yeah. It was a lot. So Rodney was arrested in late 1979 and held without bail. In 1980, he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death for Robin's murder, but the verdict was overturned by the California Supreme Court because jurors were improperly informed about his prior sex crimes. Apparently, they weren't allowed to know that. Hmm. So in 1986, a second trial, almost identical to the first minus information about his prior convictions, got him convicted and sentenced to death again. And after this one, a Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals panel nullified the second conviction, partly because a witness was not allowed to support Rodney's contention that the park ranger who found Robin's body Mm -hmm. had been, quote, hypnotized by the police investigators, end quote. I don't even know what the hell that means. I don't either. I'm confused. Yeah, but that's why the second one was overturned. Okay. Like, are you saying that someone said that the investigator was hypnotized by police mm-hmm. or was he hypnotized by police and and you I, like i don't know mm-hmm. i don't understand but Just for I don't, him to recall what happened or something maybe i don't know and get but, details but whatever yeah i don't know <laughs> okay so this would be a good thing though in the end in my opinion because when they're getting ready for the third trial it's years later it's in 2003 he's in jail the whole time he's not out or anything so there's no new murder victims or anything like that but orange county investigators learned that rodney's dna that had been taken under a new state law even though rodney objected to it the state of california started taking dna swabs from all their prisoners Mm -hmm. matched semen left behind at the rape murder scenes of two women in los angeles so Another DNA match came to light in 2004 on a cold case that led to Rodney being indicted for the murders of Jill Barcombe, who we mentioned earlier. Remember, she was she was the one that was considered a hillside strangler victim. Right. Um, But that changed in 2004 with a DNA match. And he was indicted for the murders of Jill Barcombe, Georgia Wickstead, Charlotte Lamb and Jill Parenteau. It was noted that all of their bodies were found posed in carefully chosen positions, which is what I was saying earlier. It's like mm-hmm. he was posing them, right? Mm-hmm. And police also found a pair of Charlotte's earrings in the Seattle storage locker. They matched DNA to DNA scraped from the earring in order to identify oh, wow. that e- those earrings belonged yeah. to her. So 
While this is going on, because there are years between his second and third trial, Rodney writes a book about himself called You, the Jury, where he proclaims his innocence in Robin's murder and points the finger at someone else. I kind of want to read this book. (laughs) But he also filed two lawsuits against the state of California penal system for a slip and fall incident. (laughs) And for refusing to provide him with a low fat diet. It just shows you he's got time on his hands. He's bored. bored. (laughs) (laughs) So... In 2003, a motion was entered to the court to join Robin's murder charges with those of the four newly discovered victims. And Rodney's attorneys contested it, one of them saying, quote, if you're a juror and you hear one murder case, you may be able to have reasonable doubt. But it's very hard to say you have reasonable doubt on all five, especially when four of the five aren't alleged by eyewitnesses but are proven by DNA matches, end quote. So basically... His defense attorney is saying they won't be able to get a good defense together for him. Yeah. Like, that's really what that boils down to. Like, maybe I can cause reasonable doubt for one victim. Right. But you give me five and some of those are are most of those are DNA matches. What am Mm -hmm. I supposed to do with this? Buddy, you're screwed. Right. So in 2006, the California Supreme Court ruled to allow the joint trial and the trial began four years later in February of 2010. Rodney decided to defend himself in this third trial, acting as his own attorney, and it's hilarious. That would be fun. This is funny. He took the stand in his own defense, and I don't know if it's funny, really. Like, it's funny, haha, but it's also sad because he's got all these psychiatric issues. Right. So this is, he probably is taking himself seriously. I don't know how anyone sat in this courtroom, though, and didn't just die laughing. Mm-hmm. Let me Let me tell you this. What he did, okay? So he takes the stand in his own defense, and for five hours, he played the roles of both attorney and witness, asking himself questions. (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing is, something I think proves his issues is that he addressed himself as Mr. Alcala, even changing his normal voice to a deeper voice for the questions and then answering his normal voice like, Hello, Mr. Alcala, how good night help you today and he's going oh you know i just like like seriously dude is crazy this is interesting that would be awesome (laughs) to sit and listen to this would be entertaining yes it would be that's why i'm saying i don't know how people didn't die laughing but Mm -hmm. during this weird questioning phase rodney basically told the jury that he was applying for a job at knott's berry farm as a photographer when robin was kidnapped so he's he's trying to give himself an alibi he showed the jury a portion of his 1978 appearance on the dating game, trying to prove that the earrings that were found in his Seattle locker were his and not Robin's. However, Jed Mills, the actor who competed against Rodney on the game, show, said that the earrings weren't a socially acceptable thing for men in the 70s. And he had never seen a man wearing earrings at the time, and he would have noticed it if Rodney had. Yeah. But my thing is, I watched this video... His hair is like covering his ears. Right. So you, what? You wouldn't see him anyway. No, you wouldn't see him either way. Yeah, it didn't help Rodney. It didn't help anyone. It's just crazy. Mm -hmm. In addition, during Rodney's testimony, he didn't even try to dispute the other four charges other than to insist that he couldn't remember killing any of the women. That was his testimony on those. Yeah. During part of his closing argument, he played the Arlo Guthrie song, Alice's Restaurant, where the protagonist tells a psychiatrist that he wants to kill. 
Yeah, dude, you're helping yourself. <laughs> right, you're not. What are you doing? Right, so less than two days go by and the jury convicted him on all five counts of first-degree murder. A surprise witness during the penalty phase of the trial was Pally Shapiro. Remember the eight-year-old okay. girl? Yep. The, his Basically his first victim. Mm-hmm. Um, that went to Mexico. Yeah, that mm-hmm. she, and she wasn't allowed to testify back right. then. Yep. Well, she's grown up now, sure. so she comes to his penalty trial. And in March of 2010, Rodney was sentenced to death for the third time. Also in March of 2010, the Huntington Beach Police and New York City Police released 120 of Rodney's photos and asked the public for help in identifying them. They were trying to figure out if the women and children in those photos were potential victims or if they were peop- like living. Sure. Almost 900 of the photos couldn't be released to the public because they were sexually explicit. Sure. And in the first few weeks, police reported that about 21 women came forward to identify themselves, and around six families said they believed they recognized people who had disappeared years before and were never found, which is sad. But um, none of the photos were actually connected to any missing persons cases or unsolved murders until 2013, when a family member recognized the photo of Christine Thornton, a 28-year-old woman whose body had been found in Wyoming in yeah. 1982. Okay. As of September 2019, the photos are still online with police still looking for help identifying okay. the people in them, Yeah, yeah. Wow. which is kind of crazy. Hmm. In 2010, Rodney was charged by New York State with the murders of Cornelia Crilly and Ellen Hover. He pled guilty to these charges, but was allowed to stay in California on death row. And that was fine because New York didn't have the death penalty. Yeah. Um, also in 2010, Washington State named him as a person of interest in the unsolved murders of Antoinette Whitaker, a 13-year-old who was murdered in July of 1977, and Joyce Gaunt, a 17-year-old who was murdered in February of 1978. Rodney rented the Seattle area storage locker that, where the photos and earrings and other evidence were found belonging to two of his California victims, you know. He rented that in 1979. So that just showed that he had been there. Not in the same years that he, I mean, you're mm-hmm. going to come and just rent a storage locker in 1979 to a place you've never been before. Yeah. Hmm. Um, in March of 2011, Marin County, California investigators said that they were confident that Rodney was responsible for the 1977 murder of 19-year-old Pamela Jean Lamson. She disappeared after making a trip to Fisherman's Wharf to meet a man who had offered to photograph her. Her body was found naked, beaten, and raped, but no fingerprints or usable DNA was found, so charges were never brought against him. But police said there was enough circumstantial evidence for them to be sure that it was Rodney. So they closed the case. Yeah. Um, In September of 2016, Rodney was charged with the murder of 28-year-old Christine Ruth Thornton. She disappeared in 1977. In 2013, one of her relatives recognized her on one of Rodney's photos. Her body was found in Sweetwater County, Wyoming in 1982, but wasn't identified until 2015 when the relative who had recognized her in the photo provided a DNA sample for them to use to identify the Jane Doe that they had. Rodney admitted he took pictures of her, but denied killing her, which I find weird. She was about six months pregnant at the time of her death, and she was the first victim to be linked to Rodney's photos that were made public in 2010. Okay. And at this time, Rodney was 73, and it was said that he was too ill to make the trip from California to Wyoming to stand trial, so he never went went to trial for it. 
He sat on death row suffering from dementia and died this year on July 24th, 2021 of natural causes in prison. Even though he was convicted of five murders and linked to a few more after the fact, it's thought that his victim count could be up to 130 based on the photos found in his locker and the fact that they can't identify everyone. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is wild. Man. Yep. So that's our story of Rodney Alcala, the dating game killer. Yep. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it is. All right, so let us know what you think about this. Uh, by and you can do it by emailing us at wickednesstruecrime at yahoo.com. You can also check out our website at wickednesstruecrimeandtheunknown.com. And follow us on Instagram at wickednesstruecrime. And check us out on Anchor at anchor.fm slash wickedness, where you can also support us by clicking that support button. We would greatly appreciate your support to keep this podcast going. So last but not least, please rate and review us and share us. Share our podcast with others. Help us build our listeners, our followership. We hope you guys have a great week, and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.